Part seventeen of Hard Times by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Household Words, a weekly journal. Saturday, July the twenty second, eighteen fifty four. Chapter twenty nine. Louisa awoke from a torpor, and her eyes languidly opened on her old bed at home and her old room. It seemed at first as if all that had happened since the days when these objects were familiar to her were the shadows of a dream, but gradually, as the objects became more real to her sight, the events became more real to her mind. She could scarcely move her head for pain and heaviness. Her eyes were strained and sore, and she was very weak. A curious, passive inattention had such possession of her that the presence of her little sister in the room did not attract her notice for some time. Even when their eyes had met, and her sister had approached the bed, Louisa lay for minutes, looking at her in silence, and suffering her timidly to hold her passive hand, before she asked, "'When was I brought to this room?' "'Last night, Louisa. Who brought me here?' "'Sissy, I believe.' "'Why do you believe so?' "'Because I found her here this morning. She didn't come to my bedside to wake me, as she always does, and I went to look for her. She was not in her own room, either.' and I went looking for her all over the house until I found her here, taking care of you and cooling your head. Will you see father? Sissy said I was to tell him when you woke. What a beaming face you have, Jane, said Louisa, as her younger sister, timidly still, bent down to kiss her. Have I? I'm very glad you think so. I'm sure it must be Sissy's doing. The arm Louisa had begun to twine about her neck unbent itself. "'You can tell father, if you will.' "'Then, staying her a moment, she said, "'It was you who made my room so cheerful "'and gave it this look of welcome.' "'Oh, no, Louisa, it was done before I came. "'It was—' "'Louisa turned upon her pillow and heard no more. "'When her sister had withdrawn, "'she turned her head back again "'and lay with her face towards the door "'until it opened and her father entered. "'He had a jaded, anxious look upon him, "'and his hand—' usually steady, trembled in hers. He sat down at the side of the bed, tenderly asking how she was, and dwelling on the necessity of her keeping very quiet after her agitation and exposure to the weather last night. He spoke in a subdued and troubled voice, very different from his usual dictatorial manner, and was often at a loss for words. My dear Louisa, my poor daughter, he was so much at a loss at that place that he stopped altogether. He tried again. My unfortunate child. The place was so difficult to get over that he tried again. It would be hopeless for me, Louisa, to endeavour to tell you how overwhelmed I have been, and still am, by what broke upon me last night. The ground on which I stand has ceased to be solid under my feet. The only support on which I leaned, and the strength of which it seemed, and still does seem impossible to question, has given way in an instant. I am stunned by these discoveries. I have no selfish meaning in what I say, but I find the shock of what broke upon me last night to be very heavy indeed. She could give him no comfort herein. She had suffered the wreck of her whole life upon the rock. I will not say, Louisa, that if you had by any happy chance undeceived me some time ago, it would have been better for us both better for your peace and better for mine, for I am sensible that it may not have been a part of my system to invite any confidence of that kind. I have proved my... 
my system to myself and i have rigidly administered it and i must bear the responsibility of its failures i only entreat you to believe my favourite child that i have meant to do right he said it earnestly and to do him justice he had engaging fathomless deeps with his little mean excise rod and in staggering over the universe with his rusty stiff-legged compasses he had meant to do great things within the limits of his short tether he had tumbled about annihilating the flowers of existence with greater singleness of purpose than many of the blatant personages whose company he kept i am well assured of what you say father i know i have been your favourite child i know you have intended to make me happy i have never blamed you and i never shall he took her outstretched hand and retained it in his my dear i have remained all night at my table pondering again and again on what has so painfully passed between us when i consider your character when i consider that what has been known to me for hours has been concealed by you for years when i consider under what immediate pressure it has been forced from you at last i come to the conclusion that i cannot but mistrust myself he might have added more than all when he saw the face now looking at him he did add it in effect perhaps as he softly moved her scattered hair from her forehead with his hand such little actions slight in another man were very noticeable in him and his daughter received them as if they had been words of contrition but said mr gradgrind slowly and with hesitation as well as with a wretched sense of helplessness if i see reason to mistrust myself for the past louisa i should also mistrust myself for the present and the future to speak unreservedly to you i do i am far from feeling convinced now however differently i might have felt only this time yesterday that i am fit for the trust you repose in me that i know how to respond to the appeal you have come home to make to me that i have the right instinct supposing it for the moment to be some quality of that nature how to help you and to set you right my child she had turned upon her pillow and lay with her face upon her arm so that he could not see it all her wildness and passion had subsided but though softened she was not in tears her father was changed in nothing so much as in the respect that he would have been glad to see her in tears some persons hold he pursued still hesitating that there is a wisdom of the head and that there is a wisdom of the heart i have not supposed so but as i have said i mistrust myself now i have supposed the head to be all-sufficient it may not be all-sufficient how can i venture this morning to say that it is if that other kind of wisdom should be what i have neglected and should be the instinct that is wanted louisa he suggested it very doubtfully as if he were half unwilling to admit it even now she made him no answer lying before him on her bed still half dressed much as he had seen her lying on the floor of his room last night louisa and his hand rested on her hair again i have been absent from here my dear a good deal of late and though your sister's training has been pursued according to the system he appeared to come to that word with great reluctance always it has necessarily been modified by daily associations begun in her case at an early age i ask you ignorantly and humbly my daughter for the better do you think father she replied without stirring if any harmony has been awakened in her young breast that was mute in mine until it turned to discord 
let her thank heaven for it and go upon her happier way taking it as her greatest blessing that she has avoided my way oh my child my child he said in a forlorn manner i am an unhappy man to see you thus what avails it to me that you do not reproach me if i so bitterly reproach myself he bent his head and spoke low to her louisa i have a misgiving that some change may have been slowly working about me in this house by mere love and gratitude that what the head had left undone and could not do the heart may have been doing silently can it be so she made him no reply i'm not too proud to believe it louisa how could i be so arrogant and you before me can it be so is it so my dear he looked upon her once more lying cast away there and without another word went out of the room he had not been long gone when she heard a light tread near the door and knew that someone stood beside her she did not raise her head a dull anger that she should be seen in her distress and that the involuntary look she had so resented should come to this fulfilment smouldered within her like an unwholesome fire all closely imprisoned forces rend and destroy the air that would be healthful to the earth the water that would enrich it the heat that would ripen it tear it when caged up so in her bosom even now the strongest qualities she possessed long turned upon themselves became a heap of obduracy that rose against a friend it was well that soft touch came upon her neck and that she understood herself to be supposed to have fallen asleep the sympathetic hand did not claim her resentment let it lie there let it lie so it lay there warming into life a crowd of gentler thoughts and she lay still as she softened with the quiet and the consciousness of being so watched some tears made their way into her eyes the face touched hers and she knew that there were tears upon it too and she the cause of them as louisa feigned to rouse herself and sat up sissy retired so that she stood placidly near the bedside i hope i've not disturbed you i've come to ask if you'll let me stay with you why should you stay with me my sister will miss you you're everything to her am i returned sissy shaking her head i would be something to you if i might what said louisa almost sternly whatever you want most if i could be that at all events i would like to try to be as near it as i can and however far off that may be i will never tire of trying will you let me my father sent you to ask me no indeed replied sissy he told me that i might come in now but he sent me away from the room this morning or at least she hesitated and stopped at least what said louisa with her searching eyes upon her i thought it best myself that i should be sent away for i felt very uncertain whether you would like to find me here have i always hated you so much i hope not for i've always loved you and i've always wished that you should know it but you changed to me a little shortly before you left home not that i wondered at it you knew so much and i knew so little and it was natural in many ways going as you were among other friends that i had nothing to complain of and was not at all hurt her colour rose as she said it modestly and hurriedly louisa understood the loving pretence and her heart smote her may i try said cissy emboldened to raise her hand to the neck 
that was insensibly drooping towards her. Louisa, taking down the hand that would have embraced her in another moment, held it in one of hers, and answered, First, Sissy, do you know what I am? I am so proud and so hardened, so confused and troubled, so resentful and unjust to everyone, and to myself, that everything is stormy, dark and wicked to me. Does not that repel you? No, I am so unhappy, and all that should have made me otherwise is so laid waste, that if I had been bereft of sense to this hour, and instead of being as learned as you think me, had begun to acquire the simplest truths, I could not want a guide to peace, contentment, honour, all the good of which I am quite devoid, more abjectly than I do. Does not that repel you? No. In the innocence of her brave affection, and the brimming up of her old devoted spirit, the once deserted girl shone like a beautiful light upon the darkness of the other. Louisa raised the hand that it might clasp her neck and join its fellow there. She fell upon her knees, and clinging to this stroller's child, looked up at her almost with veneration. Forgive me, pity me, help me, have compassion on my great need, and let me lay this head of mine upon a loving heart. Oh, lay it here, cried Sissy, lay it here, my dear. Chapter 30 Mr. James Harthouse passed a whole night and a day in a state of so much hurry that the world, with its best glass in its eye, would scarcely have recognised him during that insane interval as the brother, Jem, of the honourable and jocular member. He was positively agitated. He several times spoke with an emphasis, similar to the vulgar manner. He went in and went out in an unaccountable way. Like a man with an object, he rode like a highwayman, in a word, he was so horribly bored by existing circumstances that he forgot to go in for boredom in the manner prescribed by the authorities. After putting his horse at Coketown through the storm, as if it were a leap, he waited up all night, from time to time ringing his bell with the greatest fury, charging the porter who kept watch with delinquency in withholding letters or messages that could not fail to have been entrusted to him, and demanding restitution on the spot. The dawn coming, the morning coming, and the day coming, and neither message nor letter coming with either, he went down to the country house. There the report was, Mr. Bounderby away, and Mrs. Bounderby in town. Left for town suddenly last evening, not even known to be gone until receipt of message, importing that her return was not to be expected for the present. In these circumstances he had nothing for it but to follow her to town. He went to the house in town, Mrs. Bounderby not there. He looked in at the bank, Mr. Bounderby away, and Mrs. Sparsit away. Mrs. Sparsit away? Who could have been reduced to the sudden extremity for the company of that griffin? Well, I don't know, said Tom, who had his own reasons for being uneasy about it. She was off somewhere at daybreak this morning. She's always full of mystery. I hate her. So I do that white chap. He's always got his blinking eyes upon a fellow. Where were you last night, Tom? Where was I last night? said Tom. Come, I like that. I was waiting for you, Mr. Harthouse, till it came down as I never saw it come down before. Where was I, too? Where were you, you mean? I was prevented from coming. Detained. Detained, murmured Tom. Two of us were detained. 
I was detained looking for you till I lost every train but the mail. It would have been a pleasant job to go down by that on such a night and have to walk home through a pond. I was obliged to sleep in town after all. Where? Where? Why, in my own bed at Bounderby's. Did you see your sister? How oh, the deuce, returned Tom, staring. Could I see my sister when she was fifteen miles off? Cursing these quick retorts of the young gentleman, to whom he was so true a friend, Mr. Harthouse disembarrassed himself of that interview with the smallest conceivable amount of ceremony, and debated for the hundredth time what all this could mean. He made only one thing clear. It was that whether she was in town or out of town, whether he had been premature with her who was so hard to comprehend, or she had lost courage, or they were discovered, or some mischance or mistake at present incomprehensible had occurred, he must remain to confront his fortune, whatever it was. The hotel where he was known to live when condemned to that region of blackness was the stake to which he was tied. As to all the rest, what will be will be. So whether I am waiting for a hostile message, or an assignation, or a penitent remonstrance, or an impromptu wrestle with my friend Bounderby in the Lancashire manner, which would seem as likely as anything else in the present state of affairs. I'll dine, said Mr. James Harthouse. Bounderby has the advantage in point of weight, and if anything of a British nature is to come off between us, it may be as well to be in training. Therefore he rang the bell, and tossing himself negligently on a sofa, ordered some dinner at six with a beefsteak in it, and got through the intervening time as well as he could. That was not particularly well, for he remained in the greatest perplexity, and as the hours went on, and no kind of explanation offered itself, his perplexity augmented at compound interest. However, he took affairs as coolly as it was in human nature to do, and entertained himself with the facetious idea of the training more than once. It wouldn't be bad, he yawned at one time, to give the waiter five shillings and throw him. At another time it occurred to him, or a fellow of about thirteen or fourteen stone might be hired by the hour. But these jests did not tell materially on the afternoon, or his suspense, and sooth to say, they both lagged fearfully. It was impossible, even before dinner, to avoid often walking about in the pattern of the carpet, looking out of the window, listening at the door for footsteps, and occasionally becoming rather hot when any steps approached that room. But after dinner, when the day turned to twilight, and the twilight turned to night, and still no communication was made to him, it began to be, as he expressed it, like the holy office and slow torture. However, still true to his conviction that indifference was the genuine high breeding, the only conviction he had, he seized this crisis as the opportunity for ordering candles and a newspaper. He had been trying in vain for half an hour to read this newspaper, when the waiter appeared, and said, at once mysteriously and apologetically, "'Beg your pardon, sir. You're wanted, sir, if you please.' A general recollection that this was the kind of thing the police said to the swell mob caused Mr. Harthouse to ask the waiter in return, with bristling indignation, what the devil he meant by wanted. "'Beg your pardon, sir. Young lady outside, sir, which is to see you.' outside where outside this door sir giving the waiter to the personage before mentioned as a blockhead duly qualified for that consignment 
mr harthouse hurried into the gallery a young woman whom he had never seen stood there plainly dressed very quiet very pretty as he conducted her into the room and placed a chair for her he observed by the light of the candles that she was even prettier than he had at first believed her face was innocent and youthful and his expression remarkably pleasant she was not afraid of him or in any way disconcerted she seemed to have her mind entirely preoccupied with the occasion of her visit and to have substituted that consideration for herself i speak to mr harthouse she said when they were alone to mr harthouse he added in his mind and you speak to him with the most confining eyes i ever saw and the most earnest voice though so quiet i ever heard if i do not understand and i do not sir said cissy what your honour as a gentleman binds you to in other matters the blood really rose in his face as she began in these words i am sure i may rely upon it to keep my visit secret and to keep secret what i am going to say i will rely upon it if you will tell me i may so far trust you you may i assure you i am young as you see i am alone as you see in coming to you sir i have no advice or encouragement beyond my own hope he thought but that is very strong as he followed the momentary upward glance of her eyes he thought besides this is a very odd beginning i don't see where we are going i think said cissy you have already guessed whom i left just now i have been in the greatest concern and uneasiness during the last four-and-twenty hours which have appeared as many years he returned on a lady's account the hopes i have been encouraged to form that you come from that lady do not deceive me i trust i left her within an hour at her father's mr harthouse's face lengthened in spite of his coolness and his perplexity increased then i certainly he thought do not see where we are going she hurried there last night she arrived there in great agitation and was insensible all through the night i live at her father's and was with her you may be sure sir you will never see her again as long as you live mr harthouse drew a long breath and if ever man found himself in the position of not knowing what to say made the discovery beyond all question that he was so circumstanced the childlike ingenuousness with which his visitor spoke her modest fearlessness her truthfulness which put all artifice aside her entire forgetfulness of herself in her earnest quiet holding to the object with which she had come all this together with her reliance on his easily given promise which in itself shamed him presented something in which he was so inexperienced and against which he knew any of his usual weapons would fall so powerless that not a word could he rally to his relief at last he said so startling an announcement so confidently made and by such lips is really disconcerting in the last degree may i be permitted to inquire if you are charged to convey that information to me in those hopeless words by the lady of whom we speak i have no charge from her the drowning man catches at the straw with no disrespect for your judgment and with no doubt of your sincerity excuse my saying that i cling to the belief that there is yet hope that i am not condemned to perpetual exile from that lady's presence there's not the least hope sir the first object of my coming here sir is to assure you 
that you must believe that there is no more hope of your ever speaking with her again than there would be if she had died when she came home last night must believe but if i can't or if i should by infirmity of nature be obstinate and won't it's still true there's no hope james harthouse looked at her with an incredulous smile upon his lips but her mind looked over and beyond him and the smile was quite thrown away he bit his lip and took a little time for consideration well if it should unhappily appear he said after due pains and duty on my part that i am brought to a position so desolate as this banishment i shall not become the lady's persecutor but you said you had no commission from her i have only the commission of my love for her and her love for me i have no other trust than that i have been with her since she came home and that she has given me her confidence i have no further trust than that i know something of her character and her marriage oh mr harthouse i think you had that trust too he was touched in the cavity where his heart should have been in that nest of addled eggs where the birds of heaven would have lived if they had not been whistled away by the fervour of this reproach i am not a moral sort of fellow he said and i never make any pretensions to the character of a moral sort of fellow i am as immoral as need be at the same time in bringing any distress upon the lady who is the subject of the present conversation or in unfortunately compromising her in any way or in committing myself by any expression of sentiments towards her not perfectly reconcilable with in fact with the domestic hearth or in taking any advantage of her father's being a machine or of her brother's being a whelp or of her husband's being a bear i beg to be allowed to assure you that i have had no particularly evil intentions but have glided on from one step to another with a smoothness so perfectly irresistible that i had not the slightest idea the catalogue was half so long until i began to turn it over whereas i find said mr james harthouse in conclusion that it is really in several volumes though he said all this in his frivolous way the way seemed for that once a conscious polishing of but an ugly surface he was silent for a moment and then proceeded with a more self-possessed air though with traces of vexation and disappointment that would not be polished out after what has been just now represented to me in a manner i find it impossible to doubt i know of hardly any other source from which i could have accepted it so readily i feel bound to say to you in whom the confidence you have mentioned has been reposed that i cannot refuse to contemplate the possibility however unexpected of my seeing the lady no more i am solely to blame for the thing having come to this and and i cannot say he added rather hard up for a general peroration that i have any sanguine expectation of ever becoming a moral sort of fellow or that i have any belief in any moral sort of fellow whatever cissy's face sufficiently showed that her appeal to him was not finished you spoke he resumed as she raised her eyes to him again of your first object i may assume that there is a second to be mentioned yes will you oblige me by confiding it mr harthouse returned cissy with a blending of gentleness and steadiness that quite defeated him and a simple confidence in his being bound to do what she required that held him at a singular disadvantage the only reparation that remains with you 
is to leave here immediately and finally i am quite sure that you can mitigate in no other way the wrong and harm you have done i am quite sure that it is the only compensation you have left in your power to make i do not say that it is much or that it is enough but it is something and it is necessary therefore though without any other authority than i have given you and even without the knowledge of any other person than yourself and myself i ask you to depart from this place to-night under an obligation never to return to it if she had asserted any influence over him beyond her plain faith in the truth and right of what she said if she had concealed the least doubt or irresolution or had harboured for the best purpose any reserve or pretence if she had shown or felt the lightest trace of any sensitiveness to his ridicule or his astonishment or any remonstrance he might offer he would have carried it against her at this point but he could as easily have changed a clear sky by looking at it in surprise as affect her but do you know he asked quite at a loss the extent of what you ask you probably are not aware that i am here on a public kind of business preposterous enough in itself but which i have gone in for and sworn by and am supposed to be devoted to in quite a desperate manner you probably are not aware of that but i assure you it's the fact it had no effect on sissy fact or no fact besides which said mr harthouse taking a turn or two across the room dubiously it's so alarmingly absurd it would make a man so ridiculous after going in for these fellows to back out in such an incomprehensible way i'm quite sure repeated sissy that it is the only reparation in your power sir i'm quite sure or i would not have come here he glanced at her face and walked about again upon my soul i don't know what to say so immensely absurd it fell to his lot now to stipulate for secrecy if i were to do such a very ridiculous thing he said stopping again presently and leaning against the chimney-piece it could only be in the most infallible confidence i will trust to you sir returned sissy and you will trust to me his leaning against the chimney-piece reminded him of the night with the whelp it was the self-same chimney-piece and somehow he felt as if he were the whelp to-night he could make no way at all i suppose a man was never placed in a more ridiculous position he said after looking down and looking up and laughing and frowning and walking off and walking back again but i see no way out of it what will be will be this will be i suppose i must take off myself i imagine in short i engage to do it cissy rose she was not surprised by the result but she was happy in it and her face beamed brightly you will permit me to say continued mr james harthouse that i doubt if any other ambassador or ambassadress could have addressed me with the same success i must not only regard myself as being in a very ridiculous position but as being vanquished at all points will you allow me the privilege of remembering my enemy's name my name said the ambassadress the only name i could possibly care to know to-night sissy jupe pardon my curiosity at parting related to the family i am only a poor girl returned sissy i was separated from my father he was only a stroller and taken pity on by mr gradgrind i have lived in the house ever since she was gone 
it wanted this to complete the defeat said mr james harthouse sinking with a resigned air on the sofa after standing transfixed a little while the defeat may now be considered perfectly accomplished only a poor girl only a stroller only james harthouse made nothing of only james harthouse a great pyramid of failure the great pyramid put it into his head to go up the nile he took a pen upon the instant and wrote the following note in appropriate hieroglyphics to his brother dear jack all up at coketown bored out of the place and going in for camels affectionately jem he rang the bell send my fellow here gone to bed sir tell him to get up and pack up he wrote two more notes one to mr bounderby announcing his retirement from that part of the country and showing where he would be found for the next fortnight the other similar in effect to mr gradgrind almost as soon as the ink was dry upon their superscriptions he had left the tall chimneys of coketown behind and was in a railway carriage tearing and glaring over the dark landscape the moral sort of fellows might suppose that mr james harthouse derived some comfortable reflections afterwards from this prompt retreat as one of his few actions that made any amends for anything and as a token to himself that he had escaped the climax of a very bad business but it was not so at all a secret sense of having failed and been ridiculous a dread of what other fellows who went in for similar sorts of things would say at his expense if they knew it so oppressed him that what was about the very best passage in his life was the one of all others he would not have owned to on any account and the only one that made him ashamed of himself end of part seventeen